What's up? Hey. Welcome to this week's episode of the 13th Floor. I'm Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And today we're talking about medical mysteries. Thank you to Amy who submitted this topic, spelled A-I-M-E-E. Don't want to give the wrong Amy credit. No, we cannot give the (laughs) wrong Amy credit. One of my dear besties is Amy, but she spells her name A-M-Y. But Amy who submitted this topic, I also want to be besties with you. So reach out. Let us know what you're up to. And let us know if we fulfill your requirements and your needs with this episode. Yeah. Bass. Um, James, how have you been? I've been good. Um, this is kind of funny. We were uh, we were talking in passing about that show Space Dogs a few episodes back. And I was watching an episode, and one of the characters yells, Look out, it's Acanthoscuria geniculata, which... They were talking about something totally different, but it was funny because that's not just gibberish. That's that's what milkshake is. And funny enough, milkshake molted and is now three times bigger, I swear, than she was the day before. It's crazy. Okay, Ooh. compare milkshake to the size of an, an object. Yeah, milkshake was the size of a quarter, toe to toe. So rim of the quarter, Oof. one toe. Other rim of the quarter, other toe. Now she's like three quarters or two and a half quarters or something like that. Huh. That is a huge molt. Yeah, basically each leg is a size of a quarter now. It's nuts. James, Chunky. James, you need to you need to put like a little piece of paper on a stick or glue <laughs> something to a stick like a quarter or, yeah. and then hold it up next to milkshake so that we can see in scale. Yeah, there we go. That wouldn't yeah. be too hard to do as long as she didn't like flip out and hide from the quarter, which is possible, but we'll I can try it. I think that Milkshake seems like she's mature enough to <laughs> not hide from the quarter. Yeah. But we've got a wiggly jiggly dog right next to us. She I don't, I don't know what Louise's deal is today. We had somebody mm-hmm. drop off some diapers at our door today, and ever since then she's just been very jumpy. So, mm. if you hear a little jingle jangle of her collar, it's just Louise. Aw. Needy. Needy, needy. <laughs> um, we've been up to a lot. We're starting to get the nursery put together. Oh. So, Good deal. That's, yes. That's been our life lately is just yeah. getting baby stuff put together. What's the theme? It's not really going to, well, I guess Gwen's. The floor is lava. <laughs> there we go. Oh my god, that would be actually awesome. Yeah, wouldn't it? That would be a pretty cool little room. Now, Gwen's theme was penguin, uh-huh. and then I think we're just going to carry on the bird theme. And Alex's aunt is going to be painting a picture for the room of a blue-footed booby. So we're going to carry on the bird theme. Yeah, there we go. About the boobies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen. <laughs> Listen, I think it's time for some hearty hellos because we haven't actually done those in a while. I kind of, they slipped my mind for a little while. So anyways, we are going to say thank you to literally everyone who's listening, but also special shout outs to the month is young, you guys, but the United Kingdom has been killing it with their listens. Wow. So you guys have not only, normally we have the United States at the very top with downloads, like regardless of any time of month 
But United Kingdom is kicking the United States' butts right now. Wow. So thank you to everybody listening in the United Kingdom. We are also going to say hello to everybody in Bahrain, which is they've also become a big listener. And then here in the United States, we're going to give a hearty hello to the top listening state of Tennessee. Oh, well, hello, Tennessee. So hello to everybody, everybody, everybody. And thank you so much for tuning in. Sir James, do we have an icebreaker? We do. Um, considering we are talking about medical mysteries, I thought uh, we would we would have a, a story and, and see, you know, uh, have you ever been hospitalized and for what? Oh. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I had a baby. That was yeah. that was the biggest <laughs> hospitalization that I've ever yeah. undergone. Biggest surgery too, you know. I bet. Pull that baby right out of me. Because Gwen decided to be breech. So she kind of threw my entire birth plan mm. up in the air. You got to go with the flow, you know? Mm. So <laughs> unlike, unlike Gwen. <laughs> yeah, no. Gwen was, Gwen was just as stubborn in the womb as she is now that she's not there. Um, so anyways, that's really the only time that I've been hospitalized. I got my tonsils removed when I was little. That was a, yeah, that a short little hospitalization. There you go. But yeah, that's it. That's it for me. Hmm. I found out I had my tonsils removed like when I was like in my twenties. Yeah. That's when I found out. I had no idea. He had no idea that his tonsils had been removed nope. until his mom told him Weird. decades later. Yeah, I had no idea. Uh, um, how does that happen? I don't know. I guess I was just very steal them away in the night. Is there, is there a I tonsil guess. fairy? I guess they probably were like, "Hey, we're gonna take your tubes out." And they nabbed my tonsils as well. Yeah, what know. tubes? He used to have ear tubes. Oh, I was like, "What's going on with you?" Oh man. <laughs> um, but I think I haven't really been hospitalized, except for. Really, the only reason I wanted, and I was like, "Yeah, let's go to the hospital." I got food poisoning, which I've mentioned, I think, on the show before. Longhorn well, didn't steakhouse. you also have like a sinus surgery? I did, but I wasn't. They just did the surgery, and I was outpatient. Yeah, oh, it was outpatient. Cool. So it was. They, they just wheeled me out. Yeah, it was. He I've had a few in. things. I've had a few surgeries. I think that the biggest thing that's happened to you is probably when you got your orbital socket broken. Well, yeah, but that was a hospital hospital stay, but it was a medical issue. That was a a doctor's visit that quickly ended with after a x-ray with, yeah, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. (laughs) Can't put a cast on your face. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I I think when I had my food poisoning where I was just in the, maybe the most, yeah, definitely the most amount of pain I've ever been in in my life. Um, I went to the hospital for that. They put four IVs through me. Yeah, they did. It, it was, was bad. it was intense. It was a lot. <laughs> I've never been in so much pain. <laughs> James, what about you? I feel like you're going to have something interesting to tell us. Uh, yeah, well, I broke my knuckle, and then uh, I had wisdom teeth surgery, which I guess that doesn't count. And yeah, because uh, that's outpatient. Outpatient, and um. Uh, really, the only times I've ever been to a hospital, not at, instead of driving somebody, I've driven people. I don't know how many flipping times. I ought to be licensed as an EMT by now. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I've had asthma attacks once in a while when I was a kid, uh, and that would sometimes require an ER visit. And, man, I hate those. But other than that, no. My goodness. I'm the only We're one who's undergone heavy surgery. Yeah. 
Yes. No. By the way, fun little random tidbit of fact. There's a rumor, a myth, an urban legend that uh, the C-section is uh, Julius Caesar was the first recipient, and that's why it's called a Caesarian. It's named after him. No. Uh, Caesar didn't have a C-section, and Cesare means to cut, so that's the deal. So stop saying that it was Julius Caesar. Everybody who says that. Julius Caesar. No. I'd never, I'm just kidding. I'd never even heard of it. I'd never heard uh, that. Well, All I remember, I'm, though, is when we went to our birthing class, and they were like, this is how you're going to deliver naturally. And then this is how they do the C-section. And they showed a video that wasn't even like a, a real CG video. It's a CG rendering. It's a CG rendering. And I remember just watching it and going, there's no way in heck I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. And then that's what happened. So yeah. It was horrifying. <laughs> it was probably <laughs> more terrifying than the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, listen, I'm tired of talking about C-sections. Alex is cringing right now, making a face. I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of talking about James's broken knuckle. I think that it is time to hop into medical mysteries. Okay. Okay? And James, listen, you mentioned what you were talking about just briefly, and I had no idea what it was, so I want you to start us off today. Okay, sure. Okay. I'm talking... In a broad sense and in a narrow sense. Broadly, I'm talking about mass psychogenic illness or MPI, but uh, I'm going to get more specific as I continue is the bottom line. So really what that is is just mass psychosis. It's when a lot of people do things that normal people don't do. And a great example of that is in the Middle Ages, there were instances of people just like whole towns, villages, entire flipping villages just becoming – whatever the opposite of the town from Footloose is and all of them just dancing. And it sounds like kind of funny, like, Oh wow. A bunch of medieval serfs dancing around. They would sometimes dance until they just collapsed dead. So huh. crazy. Extreme dancing. Yeah. And usually no pre-existing symptoms. I mean, once in a blue moon, it's like, Oh boy, my head hurts or oh, I feel a little queasy or something, you know, like basically like cold symptoms. And then next thing you know, they're all prancing around in a field Till they drop, which is crazy. And there's tons. This could be an entire episode. In fact, maybe at one point we will do a mass psychosis episode, uh, but I'm only touching on mass psychosis for the most part. But there are tons of instances throughout history of people behaving really, really bananas, and there's no actual explanation for, for what transpired. None. Um, one really interesting one is in 1962 in the American South, there was a textile factory and 62 of these individuals, mostly women, because it was a dressmaking factory in 1962, uh, they got queasy. They got uh, skin outbreaks. And you think, well, okay, they're clearly, you know, something on the fabric has messed them up. No, nothing seemed to be wrong. So entomologists were actually called in because, you know, they thought, okay, well, here's the deal. These are foreign shipments of fabric. There's bugs on the fabric and they're being bitten. Nope, nothing. Nobody knew anything about what was going on. And Hmm. people have concluded that the deal was one of them got some kind of something wrong and the others were so sympathetic to it that they got it. You just threw mind over matter. Now, is that really what happened? Not necessarily, but what's interesting about that one is it's a case of what could be mass psychosis without like the more bizarre behavior associated with it. Instead, you have physiological symptoms 
with no explanation. And little throwback, flipping uh, Havana syndrome. Like, mm-hmm. it's funny. Alex's position on that was, yeah, these people are just nuts. Turns out <laughs> <laughs> we actually have corroborating evidence that it is, in fact, a form of mass psychosis where, like, Ooh. one person's paranoid in Havana and then somebody <laughs> else gets paranoid and then everybody else hears about it. And this is something you could actually do. It's it's an example of the placebo and nocebo effect in many respects that you could actually tell people that they have some bizarre disease that, that causes, I don't know, uh, like super itchy eyes and a lisp. And if you tell enough people that, it's very plausible that you'll end up with a very large study size of people who are very reasonable under normal circumstances itching their eyes and lisping yeah. just on the grounds of, of them thinking that they have something like that. Now, that in of itself is interesting. And again, I think at some point we'll probably do a whole episode on mass uh, psychosis. But I'm here to talk about a specific actual cause of mass psychosis behavior that's not, in fact, mass psychosis. And some people, in my opinion, it's kind of like pin the tail on the mass psychosis cause. Some people, I think, do attribute it falsely just because it is so easy to attribute it. But before I, I get into it, there's one more little anecdote about it. Just because, you know, or I was talking about Milkshake earlier. Um, a lot of people don't know where tarantulas get their name. They do not get their name from any kind of scientific logical reason that you would you would associate. It's not like somebody saw these spiders when they went to the New World and thought, hey, these things are neat. I think I'll call them tarantulas. That's not what happened. There's actually a spider in Europe, a wolf spider, that has tarantula in the name. Hmm. That's actually what it's called, tarantula. Hmm. It's a wolf spider, though. It's not a tarantula. Well... Some people blamed the mass dancing that I mentioned earlier on being bitten by the tarantula. Huh. And as a result, the dancing was seen as a cure. Now, it turns out that was not the case. These people, one, were not bit by this spider. Two, the spider has relatively weak venom. And three, these people who were dancing were dropping dead from the dancing. So it's just kind of neat that an instance of mass psychosis ended up ultimately in a weird roundabout way, transitive property, resulting in the naming of, of tarantulas. So just a neat little tidbit. But back on topic, because that was literally like a, just a little mind bubble that happened. Like, oh, yeah, I'll bring that up, too. But uh, <laughs> on to the actual topic, I'm talking about ergot or ergot. And it's a fungi. It's in the genus Claviceps. The most common one that you will see is called rye ergot, and it's Claviceps purpurea. And it grows on rye, as you might assume. And the reason why it's called purpurea is because uh, some of the compounds that it produces when it infects these plants, it, it causes kind of a purplish staining on it. Um, and it's not just rye. It's a lot of things, millet and sorghum and wheat and barley, sometimes even oats. And can you guess what all those things have in common? Uh, they all grow in fields. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I'm looking for is people eat them a lot. Oh, <laughs> They're staples, in other words. Sometimes yeah. entire villages just eat one of those crops for the most part. So as a result, mass ingestion can take effect. And if mass ingestion of a compound that's not normally visible until it's, you know, really, really... Uh, perforated every component of the plant. Therefore, you, you don't really notice it. Um, 
it contains alkaloids that can really mess with people. And if a lot of people are eating it, it can mess with a lot of people. So that's that's where the issue comes. And this this plant, or plant, bleh, this uh, plant parasite, it's been around a long time. It's been around for like 100 million years at least. And that means that it didn't just happen to start nabbing these plants when humans developed agriculture. It's actually been parasitizing these plants for, let's see, 100 million minus <laughs> 6,000. <laughs> so it's been, it's been doing it for a lot longer than it's been messing with people. So this isn't some sort of adaptation to human settlements or anything. Um, and we've talked in the past about St. Elmo's fire as a weather phenomena. Well, a lot of people, especially, you know, in the middle ages, they didn't understand what was happening and they called it St. Anthony's fire. And this is because there were these monks, the hospital brothers of St. Anthony, and uh, they immediately started complaining about burning sensations in their limbs. Well, that's mm. one of the signs. So there's actually two different variations depending on how much you consume and in some cases what species. Because I did mention purpurea, but there's several species of ergot. I'm going to say ergot and ergot interchangeably from here on out because who knows. Um, I mean, it's both is the joke. But uh, anyway... So different variations can cause different symptoms. And one common one is muscle spasms, fever, and here we go, hallucinations. Uh-oh. Yeah. Now, when this happens, the people who are affected a lot of times can't talk, are in a sort of manic state, and they have tremors, and sometimes they can't even move at all. <laughs> That's actually for the best in these instances because those hallucinations and coupled with that mania can lead to extremely violent and aggressive behavior. In fact, some people believe that ergot was the origin for werewolves because a lot of times people under the effect of ergot would behave in a such a violent and vicious and animalistic kind of way that that was the association, that they were in fact an animal slash human you know, something was wrong involving a curse. Cause again, this is all before germ theory. Well, case in point, those hospital brothers I mentioned, uh, that was in like 1095. So they didn't have any idea. They were, they were like 900 years away from germs, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was easy to blame it on curses and other things like that. And one of the key reasons why it works so well in, in humans is that it actually antagonizes a lot of human neurotransmitters. And this is the case for a lot of mammals too. And there, you see similar signs in, in mammals. But again, as we mentioned in a previous episode, humans are very social creatures. We, we've talked about, it's kind of nuts that if if I could say there's one common theme that, that we've had from the get-go, it's been that humans are very social and we're very finely attuned to mannerisms and behaviors that go in against the grain socially. You know, Alex has talked about it with regard to uh, the size of human scleras, the whites of the eyes. Mm -hmm. And we've all talked about it in regard to lizard people and in regard to Uncanny Valley. And so anything that affects a person's neurotransmitters, particularly the ones that we deal with when we're socializing, it's going to result in behaviors that are socially unsettling. Dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. These are things that are really important when it comes to behaving yourself and being socialized like a human being. 
Well, when you really, really screw up the ratios of those in a person's bloodstream, which is exactly what ergot ends up doing, you're going to have people who do not act on their best behavior. In fact, they act so far from their best behavior that a lot of people have argued. And I actually, I've said a lot of people falsely attribute it to things I don't know about for sure about werewolves. That could probably be just henbane rituals and things like that. I don't know for sure about some of these other cases I'm going to talk more on, but there has been arguments that this was the beginning of the hysteria that led to the Salem witch trials. And I do think that's very plausible because if you look at a lot of the symptoms and signs, boy, howdy, does it match ergot poisoning or ergot toxicity. So, yeah. Now, again, as I mentioned, it doesn't just affect human beings. There are plenty of instances of cattle and sheep. And in some cases, they really affect some of these species more so than others, like Claviceps paspali. Uh, It causes these really weird staggers in cows. It's like super messed up. And you could look at vids of that for an example. And one of the key reasons for that is because ergot, while it does usually infect wheat and other things like that, sometimes they'll infect things that browsing animals, unlike us, are more likely to nosh on, like morning glory, for example. So just, just little food for thought, you know, in a more tertiary respect. But one really fun example, and one of my favorite examples in history of St. Anthony's fire, is 1722 when Peter the Great was in charge. So he was actually trying to conquer the Ottomans. So, which that's pretty much, if you were a czar, like that's the first thing you had to do was conquer some new land just to show that you were serious. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not even kidding. <laughs> so what ends up happening is he's trying to conquer the Ottomans and they actually ended up, the army got ergotism and they had to retreat Ooh. because some of the soldiers are going bananas and they're like, oh, snap. It, again, this is 1722. So at this point, they're, even though germ theory is kind of wonky by at this point, they understood like there's something wrong with the bread and that's what's causing this. So a lot of them actually got so poisoned by it that they ended up dying. Like they had nerve contractions to such a point that they died. And some of them actually lost their hands and feet from the contractions, which I've never flipping heard of before. They basically looked like they had been frostbit. Uh, I did not know it was possible for tissue to contract so much that it cut off circulation, but this is an instance of that, which is just astonishing. So the reason why I pointed out is ergot is associated with a lot of negative things, but if you're in uh, modern day Turkey, it saved you from being conquered because uh, that ergot poisoning actually changed the course of a war because they almost certainly would have not had to retreat and probably would have won their conflict if they hadn't just completely run out of food, as an army runs on their stomach, as you know, because they didn't have any flipping food that wouldn't make them apparently lose their hands and feet huh. from uh, from the, the vasoconstriction of the tissues. So really crazy. And also another notable thing about that is because of this, it was so terrifying. It was such a like horrific thing that there was actually an order founded, the Order of St. Anthony, or the Antonites. Again, St. Anthony's fire. Anyway, uh, as a result, and so they actually started making hospitals, and they started trying to treat it. Like, that was actually, you know, the first attempt to treat this as a condition and not like a curse or some sort of 
weird metaphysical thing, like being possessed, for example. And they actually performed the first transdermal therapeutic system, which sounds super fancy, but it really just means like a transdermal patch. Like you think about yeah. nicotine patches. Yeah. They actually made this balsam compound using different herbs that, as I mentioned, you know, the people who lost their hands, it was from vasoconstriction. Well, they would actually serve people food and drink that they knew contained vasodilating compounds like these herbs. And they would even apply it as like a little sticker thing on the skin. So it's it, again, this was one of those neat things where like, this is a horrifying event, but it led to a lot of interesting things. One, it, it, it put a damper on Peter the Great's attempt to conquer the Ottomans. And two, it led to a lot of interesting medical advances just because of this order that was founded as a result. And one of the things that they figured out very quickly was, oh, uh, yeah, if you don't want to get this, you should really stay away from Robert. <laughs> so, again, they, they, they understood it uh, a lot better in, in, in a 700-year window than, than when the uh, pre-existing monks that I, I mentioned earlier had figured this out. So hmm. another odd thing about Ergot is that sometimes it was actually used. Uh, and what's odd, uh, you might want to cover your ears, CC, because sometimes they're actually used for pain regarding childbirth. Yeah. Now, it kind of makes sense because I, I mentioned before, you know, it's a vasoconstricting compound. That's the problem. It causes a terrifying constriction of muscle. But what if somebody has really, really weak uterine contractions so that they can't give birth? Ooh. That's where they would actually use ergot as a medicine rather than as a, a horrible thing. And it actually did work. Now, obviously people don't use it anymore because there's better stuff, but it's fascinating that there was actually a thing that people were making use of it for even before the order of St. Anthony. So just a, a fascinating compound in the sense that it has plagued humanity and led to some horrifying things. Even in the modern day, there are absolutely instances of ergot hysteria because of infected villages in the 21st century. And yet at the same time, people were starting to understand it a lot better in 1000 AD and, and substantially better in the, the 18th century than, than I would have anticipated at the very least. So, yeah, that's uh, that's what I got. So mass psychosis, but more importantly, mass psychosis behavior being attributed to ergot the fungus. Interesting. Yeah. The fungus among us. <laughs> Yuck. Uh, Alex, how about you go next? Okay. I'm covering FAS. What's FAS? It's a disturbing condition. That typically happens after a head injury, a stroke, or like any damage to the brain. And while the condition is pretty rare, it can lead to being beaten to death by others. What? Yeah. That's right. So this is a condition that can get you killed. This terrible condition is known as foreign accent syndrome. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, let's... That's right. No, this is real. This yeah. is real. Oh, I know. I know. I, <laughs> I, I saw it. I skimmed some information on it when I was trying to figure out my topic. Mm. But. Uh. but yeah, these are, these are people that suddenly acquire accents that are not from their native country. Mm. And the reason it's deadly? Well, 
What if you get this condition in another country? Everyone thinks you're mocking them. Well, then you could get killed. Now, the stats say that this is a pretty rare thing to happen to you. To the be fact that by it's a, happened once is, is alarming. Yeah, I mean, to be killed by other countrymen because of your accent. I mean, actually, since 1907, the first reported incident that this was ever logged, it's happened a total of zero times. But What? <laughs> it hasn't happened since 1907? It's never happened. Alex, I swear. I swear. I'm going to... <laughs> You mean me. nobody's ever been beat to death since 1907? <laughs> yes. No one's okay. ever been beat to death. Okay. I was, I was about to say, I was like, I know it's happened since then because I, I saw an interview with somebody one time with it. Yeah. It's fascinating and hilarious, I'm sorry to say. Oh, my goodness. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> but this is actually, CC's giving me this look. Mm, I bet. Um, <laughs> this has happened. A hundred times since 1907. So it is pretty rare. Um, So as for symptoms that this, uh, you know, something is happening to, oh, someone you care about. Some things to watch out for. So maybe your white European mother uh, in England turns to you and asks, you know, would you like some crumpets? And then turns away and turns back to you and says, would you like some tea, mom? That's James Alex. What? Alex cannot do accents to save his life. I was so about to say, I was like, those sounded the same. They sounded exactly the same. <laughs> well, I'm so appalled that Alex selected this as his topic to try and give examples. But he cannot even reach outside of his own dialect and accent. Maybe I had this condition each time I tried to do those accents and it just reverted yeah, me back to my normal language. Maybe that means that you could never get this because uh, I can't like I I cannot picture you speaking properly with another accent ever. No offense, babe. Well, if I did, and I'm sorry to all our UK listeners for that awful accent. Yeah, yeah. We we just did a shout out. Now, yeah, we just did a shout out. In I, just, just I just botched plummeting. that. That's all right. That's all right. I, I got a I got a buddy at UK, uh, from England that we I bust his chops all the time, and he busts mine so. Go on. Go on. I think that was the equivalent of I have a Bring British friend. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, if, if if they turn around and they have a Jamaican accent all of a sudden, you know, that she may have had a stroke. She might have a brain lesion, an aneurysm, maybe some trauma, or maybe even multiple sclerosis can actually cause this. Multiple mm. sclerosis, sclerosis could possibly cause that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fascinating. I know. Unbelievable. Now... Where there is a dispute is on whether you are actually acquiring a new accent. As this has happened to someone who started 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 speaking Jamaican without knowing about that different dialect. Or if we just associate the new accent with other languages because we like to see patterns. So are they actually speaking this other language? It's not another language. I keep saying that, but are they speaking this other accent? Or does it just sound like they're speaking that accent? We just happen to have another form of English to relate that to. You know, we are pattern recognition animals. So is that person actually speaking like they are from Jamaica? Or is their speech just 
fundamentally altered to it. It just happens to sound like someone that talks that way. Right. Now, an Australian woman developed a French accent after a car accident. And there's actually this other lady from Arizona who didn't acquire one accent, not two accents, but three. She now she has the accents of an Australian, someone that's British, and an Irish accent. Did they just like come on occasionally? So they described it as a mixture. So when she talks, it must be a cacophony of accents. To me, that <laughs> sounds more like it would point to the hey, we're just identifying this as this accent, but it's really yeah. just a change in. Yes. Speech. Yes, and I, I would agree with you. I think that that's evidence of us seeing more, you know, we're hearing what we think we hear, yeah. right? Not necessarily what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she, that actually happened to her. She went to sleep. She had a headache. She went to bed. She woke up, and she had three accents. Yeah. Isn't that wild? That's bizarre. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that wild? And it's odd because, well... For obvious reasons, our, our, our phonetic systems are pretty much set up early in life. And after your teenage years, uh, it's mostly set in stone. Like You can go live in Britain for five years afterwards and you might pick up a couple things. But overall, you're still going to sound, like your sound like yourself. Yeah. Remember when Madonna tried to pull that off? It, and like everybody <laughs> I forgot all about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she spent like four months in Britain and was trying to act like she was flipping the queen or something. That was nuts. <laughs> right. Um, and another thing is that one of the possible other reasons that we associate accent is probably because this person all of a sudden is making, I mean, just think about it. It's kind of weird. This person is all of a sudden making the same error over and over again to talk the way that they originally were going to. Mm-hmm. So their southern accent, they're all of a sudden having one thing misfire in their brain over and over. And now they sound like somebody on the other side of the ocean. Hmm. And it, so it, it's pretty interesting that this kid can do this to you, especially something that's so ingrained and hardwired into our fundamentals. I mean, people have to go. So like the treatment options for this, like speech therapy, obviously. And like, there's like, it's kind of weird to say this, but there, there's several different behavioral therapy type things, but counseling and support groups actually are helping you help people kind of solve this issue because a lot of people will be upset with you for quote unquote faking your accent. And so it can be upsetting for the person that has this. Yeah. Um, well, especially it, now, you know, with, with wokeness and all that, like imagine having a stereotypical accent and not looking like you should have said accent. Yes, exactly. Like you, <laughs> you could cross some, uh, I guess I would say some people's unacceptable lines mm-hmm. and kind of be maligned for something that you just have a shocking medical oddity that, Really, they're not 100% sure how it works. It's a Mm. mystery. Yeah. A medical mystery. Yeah, I I think it probably ties in with it. You know, only 100 cases in the last 114 years, 15 years. Another another fun fact, um, bats have accents. What? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. 
bats, they have dialects, like different ones in different caves, even though they're the same species, have different sounding clicks that they learn in childhood. So give me an example of what a bat in Arizona would sound like versus a bat in Australia. Mm. A bat in Arizona would be like, ah. and a bat in uh, Australia would be like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Now, what about the Arizona one? Has its accent changed to the Australian one? Yeah, it, it, that's, it's a little more of a drawl. It's more like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, okay. Listen, Alex, I, I've got to take over now. I am, I'm going to, I'm going to go now. Okay. <laughs> CC knew things were going to be bad on my end because I was cackling to myself. Yeah, he was, while he was doing his research, he was just giggling to himself. And I was like, I can only imagine what he is going to be talking about. But anyways. I'm sure it lived up to the hype. Yeah, it sure did. Okay. Listen. <laughs> Today I'm going to be talking about malady that I did not even know existed. Talk about oh, a malady. Malady. <laughs> I was like, who's a malady? <laughs> a malady that I did not know existed before I started looking into medical mysteries, which, number one, Amy, thank you for submitting this topic, but also, I am, I'm, I'm a recovered hypochondriac. Mm. So it made me a little bit nervous, some of the things I looked at. But anyways... <laughs> This one did not make me nervous. Glass delusion. James, I know that you know what glass delusion is. Alex, what do you know about glass delusion? Uh, Pretending that you are a piece of glass. Yes, that's basically it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glass delusion is a psychiatric illness that has affected a number of people, but mostly during like the Middle Ages. And people who suffered from it thought that their bodies or part of their bodies were made of glass. Glass delusion. Wow. Yay. Oddly yeah. enough, it seemed to affect higher class people more than like commoners <laughs> or peasants way back when. Color me shocked. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It was the nobility. It was the kings. It was, you know, the people in the courts. They're all like, oh, I'm made of glass. And then meanwhile, all the commoners <laughs> are like out plowing the fields and creating horseshoes. And they're just like, I ain't got time for that. They missed an opportunity to call it porcelain peculiarity. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, the first recorded incident of glass delusion is attributed to a king. King Charles VI of France. Mm. Yeah, he became a king when he was just 11 years old. And he was supposedly really successful and beloved. Everybody was like obsessed with him. And then 1392 came. He was 24 years old. And things took a turn for the worse for him. This is child star syndrome is what this is. Yep, mm-hmm. probably. Well, it's believed that he probably had schizophrenia, like looking back oh. now. But one of his spells, as per history.com, which is where I got most of this information from, was the belief that his entire body was made of glass. So pr- to protect himself... He would wrap himself up in blankets and then just lay motionless in his bed for hours. And if he did have to move, he had a special outfit that he would wear that was like had parts of it made of iron so that it would protect his inner organs. Which part of me is like, what if you bump into the iron outfit? Like, wouldn't that be enough to break your glass organs if you actually had them? But I'm not sure what happened to him at the end of the day. But, again, this was a trend that 
affected higher class people. So some people thought that just, again, certain parts of their bodies were made of glass. And for some reason, men especially thought that their butts were made of glass. So they'd wear like pillows on their rear ends to make sure when they sat down, their butt wouldn't crack. (laughs) (laughs) They completely misunderstood what a butt crack was. Yeah, well... (laughs) For me, if I if I were a nobility, and I'd be like, my derriere is made of glass. I bet you anything. Some of these people were like, listen, the chairs at this house are so uncomfortable. Ooh. I'm going to strap this pillow to my butt and then comfort. You know what I mean? Mm. It could be. Yeah, that makes sense. And it could have been yeah. that they had Hank Hill syndrome. What's Hank Hill syndrome? <laughs> Hank, Hank Hill had mm. negative butt. And so yeah. it just had a really bony butt and just very uncomfortable to sit on anything. That's <laughs> reminds me of someone in our family whose pants never stay up. Yeah. No matter where you go, his yeah. pants are we, always. We won't say who it is. No. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, there were some 16th century physicians that studied and outlined cases of glass delusion. Um, you know, when this was occurring back in the Middle Ages, including one guy named Alfonso Ponce de Santa Cruz. And he told a story of someone who was supposedly another royal who also thought that he was made of glass. And he specifically thought he was a, quote, glass vase. He thought he was a vase. Oh, wow. Yes. Some people apparently thought they were like glass flasks. But he was a vase. So to make wow. sure he didn't break, he would just lay on straw 24-7, which to me sounds absolutely terrible. It sounds itchy. It sounds like there are probably bugs that are going to bite you. Yuck. But he did it because he thought it was the only way to protect his fragile body. His doctor eventually got tired of babying this guy. So he came up with this plan on how to get this guy guy's head back in the game. And so his his plan, I'm going to set this man's straw on fire and then lock his bedroom door. <laughs> I love it. This is my kind of doctor. Yeah, so that's what he did. He and then get up and go attitude. Well, wouldn't you know it, the, the <laughs> guy was like freaking out. He jumps up. He's banging on his bedroom door. He's like, let me out. And the doctor's just like, I thought you were made of glass. Are you broken? And he's like, no, no, I'm not. And according to history.com, this is what he allegedly said. Um, he said, quote, I don't think I am a glass vase, but just the most miserable of all men. Especially <laughs> if you will let this fire put an end to my life. End quote. Wow. <laughs> when I first started reading about this, that was the first thing that popped in my head was like, if I knew somebody who suffered from this, just give them a, a good little thwack on the arm yeah. or wherever they think that they're made of glass and be like, did you break? Just give them a whack. You know there what I mean? Go. It's kind of mean, but also how else are you going to snap somebody out of this? I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's a nice alternative to setting their area on fire. Yeah. <laughs> setting their, yeah. Their I'm, I'm a little bed. surprised he went with that and not, uh, you know, hitting them a little bit. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of doctors who would just hit this delusion out of people's, you know, mm. minds. Ooh. Give somebody a big old, especially the guys who thought their butts were made of glass, just a big old smack on the booty and then. I respect these doctors. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, what do doctors think caused this delusion, you guys? Because remember, it's a medical mystery. Mm. Way back when, it was believed to be a diagnosis of melancholia. Mm. Which Uh. makes me go, blah. 
like all these richy rich folks getting sad and thinking they're made of glass. And mm-hmm. I understand that like no matter who you are, you're going to have problems in your life. Mm-hmm. And those problems are real to you. But it just takes me back to like the whole celebrities during Covis thing, you know? Mm-hmm. I know, Covis. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say it still. Yeah. But, you know, they're like sitting at home complaining, oh, quarantining is so hard. Meanwhile, most of America is struggling to pay the bills. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me, I mean, again, melancholia was like the precursor to depression. And mm. you see that actually across economic brackets. When people have to work really hard just to stay alive, they don't have depression. It's only when people have enough means to uh, to reflect on things that they, they get depressed. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Psychologists and researchers nowadays think that glass delusion may be how the nobility expected their fears and vulnerabilities of being in a public position kind of like manifested. Mm. So it's like, you know, they're in the limelight. It's scary, which I do understand to some extent. Mm. But anyways, glass delusion really started to disappear in the 19th century for the most part. There was a princess in the 1840s, Princess Alexandra Amelia of Bavaria, who thought that she had a full si- she'd eaten a full-sized glass grand piano and that it was inside of her from childhood because that's when she ate it. So <laughs> she suffered from glass delusion, but really this illness started to disappear after that, really. A lot of this reminds me of people nowadays that are so comfortable that they look to have issues just so that they can have them yeah because they're so well off that well let me let me fill yeah, the yeah, hole we, in my we heart fetishize conditions something bad yeah. instead of something good hmm. and so yeah, we, you know, we fetishize conditions nowadays and they probably mm-hmm. did something similar back then you know my butt is made of glass oh your butt's made of glass well i have a glass piano in my digestive tract <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <sighs> Well, I think it's interesting because after a glass delusion kind of died down, there were other types of delusions that popped up, like people thinking that their inner organs were made of concrete, for example. Mm. And so some researchers think that part of this kind of goes back to what is the in, uh, you know, the exciting new material that people are talking about. Because back in the Middle Ages, glass was very rare. So mm. people think maybe it was like, oh, it's rare. So I'm, I'm rare. Like, you know, and we're then we're making more points for nowadays. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, <laughs> well, they compared it to nowadays. Cause nowadays they're like, there are lots of people who think that they've got microchips inside of them. Mm. And so maybe that's, but then at it's the same time, I'm just, well, yeah, yeah that's the I was thinking more I'm, of like other kin, you know, I, I think like when it comes to the technology thing, there's a greater chance of that that because there are people out there who've got like chips embedded in their arms so that they can be a little QR scanner and stuff like yeah. that. So for me, oh, yeah. I feel like you can't really compare that to glass delusion because we actually know people who have chips inside of them yeah. versus I don't know anybody who's got glass arms and legs, yeah. you know? Although when I was working in news, we did have an intern who came into the office one day and he was like... <laughs> My throat hurts. And I was like, dude, what's wrong? Like if you're if your throat hurts, go home. So he went home and then he went to the hospital. And then when he came back the next day, he was like, Apparently I swallowed glass at some point. And I was <laughs> like, What? Oh wow. Yeah, so he had glass inside of him. 
I don't know where he is. I can't remember his name, but God bless you wherever you are. This condition has been confirmed to be real. Turns out. <laughs> he did not have glass solution. He had glass in his throat. Okay, so you guys, that's glass solution. I don't really have any more to say on it other than what? Like, that is bizarre. That was shattering. That was glass shattering. Um, James, Alex, is there anything you want to add before we drop on the bike? James? Careful wheat and rye. There you go. Careful of wheat and rye, you guys. While you're grabbing the thing, I'll do my little thing. Okay. I'll go grab the, the vase. Fine. And uh, our music is by Grant Cook. You can find it on Amazon Music, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music. <laughs> and now the vase has been delivered. Here it is. I wonder if our listeners like it when I swish around or if I'm just like precision like that. Precision. Okay, uh, you guys. Dip. Next week, we are talking about deals with the devil. Ooh. And this was submitted to us by Alex R. That's what James did again on this podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope not. That's scary, Harry. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you know what? Alex already did his thing. James warned us about wheat and rye. So I thank you guys. It's time to hit the road. So until next week, we hope that you can. Keep it straight.